interact. Well, hello, Winnipeg Jets fans. Welcome back to Game Over Winnipeg. My name is Liz, and I wanted to wish you all a happy Valentine's Day, particularly to my number one true love, a Winnipeg Jets win. I am so excited to be here with you today. My name is Liz, as always, and I am joined by the fantastic Shayna Goldman from The Athletic. Shayna, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So we're super excited to break down this uh, 3-2 Winnipeg Jets shootout win today, which, Shayna, believe it or not, I don't know if what broadcast you were listening to or if they mentioned this at all, but this is the first game that the Winnipeg Jets have gone to a shootout in this year. So I found that's that wild. Yeah, that I was like, that's kind of interesting. Wild. And it was so funny. I was sitting there watching with and my brother was sitting on the couch and he's like, and we're, we're conspiring about what players are going to put out. And I was like, we don't know. We've never done a shootout under Rick Bonus. So that's kind of an interesting <laughs> take here, there, wherever. But uh, just before we get started, we want to thank everyone who is here in the chat listening live after this post game on this fine Tuesday evening, as well as anyone listening back uh, later tomorrow or throughout the week. Thank you for tuning in. And if you're here live, feel free to join in the chat and share your thoughts on the game. So um, first things first. So we'll talk a little bit about um, some notable parts of the game and whatnot. But before we do that, Shayna, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of what you do, why I was excited to bring you on and stuff like that, and, and what you're here to talk about today. So um, I I write a lot about hockey. I, I use a lot of video. I use a lot of numbers. Um, I know that it's off-putting to some, but, uh, you know, it's really fun to watch games and see how the numbers do or don't line up and try to figure out things based on that, based on uh, you know, if something doesn't line up, it sparks a question and it might inspire something. And if it does line up, sometimes it's nice to have, you know, your ideas confirmed. But I just like to work in hockey and try to, you know, experiment with different things. There is a ton of really strong work in the public sphere that, uh, you know, writers like me can build off of. And, um, you know, I try to look at things a little bit differently if possible. Yeah, and that's awesome. But I think uh, I had a little bit of an internal chuckle there where you're like, I do numbers and I love watching the games. And I was like, oh my gosh, you can do both. You can, I, the, the I, you argument know, is always. I had no idea you could do both, but apparently you, you know what, if you have a, a nice setup, you can have an Excel spreadsheet set up perfectly next to the game and you can just switch your view. <laughs> well, that sounds unbelievable and completely absurd maybe to some you know first name bunch of letters on Twitter but I'm very excited to talk about that today <laughs> we know that um, analytics have been something that's very interesting you know obviously across all kinds of sports but within the Winnipeg Jets community of course we know that there are certain players that we have that tend to be well represented on certain metrics and you know look really good and other ones that have areas of growth um, for sure to be kind um, in some particular areas and stuff like that so I want to give a shout out to Robert who's in the chat who says I like both of these people a lot so hello Robert thank you for being here um so Shana what were your first kind of initial thoughts as like a general takeaway from this game this evening yeah so at first it was you know looking at how the Jets are the better team at five on five in the first period by far they were the better team and in the second period you saw the Kraken capitalize on lucky bounces right there and that is just how it goes so it's all about how you manage momentum and you know keep playing to your strengths it felt like that started to slip away a little bit from the Jets. You saw that last like six or seven minutes of the second period, they started to pick it up, uh, the Kraken. But really, it was interesting to see like the Jets at five on five were the better team throughout, but maybe not to the extent they should have been. And, you know, the fact that they managed the win, though, that is, you know, at the end of the day, all that matters. But it's just a little bit interesting because you have two teams here, in my opinion, who should be looking at similar players on the market. You know, I think the Jets can go a little bit more rentally than the Kraken could, but it's the Kraken without their star power, the little bit that they have in Andre Burkowski and, you know, 
a really strong goaltending performance from Philip Grubauer. And I feel like it's a similar situation that the Jets have found themselves in in years past, right? Like really, really, really strong goaltending, but the team isn't performing up to par. So, you know, now they're the ones on the other side of it. They didn't have perfect goaltending tonight. They probably don't have that same confidence in net. You could see the way David Riddick plays is very different than Connor Hellenbuck. So, you know, I think from that perspective too, it was interesting. This is a totally different year, a totally different game you know, right here for the Jets than years past. So it's intriguing to see like how they're different now. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that uh, it was funny. I was on a, a podcast the other day talking with some guys and we were talking and they, we were talking about teams that we didn't want to see in the Western Conference in the playoffs in, in any capacity. And one of the guys uh, had spent a lot of time watching some crack and he's like, I, I don't want to see this team. He was talking about things like their depth, this, that, whatever. Um, but then we kind of derailed a bit and we're like, if you look at individual players, do you think that the Winnipeg Jets have the like five best individual hockey players between these two teams? And they're like, you know, Pierre Luc Dubois, Mark Scheifele, Nikolai Ehlers, Cal Connor, Josh Morrissey. Those are the five they named. And we're like, oh my gosh, maybe they do. So I think shopping for some form of top six scoring wing or something like that could be really good for that team to add a little bit of that um, that scoring and that that star power up top. I don't know if, if you kind of agree on that or if you similar thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting you bring up the top five players. So something I worked on that ran today actually was looking at every team's cores. And it was, I picked out five players that made sense as the core. And, you know, that can differ in different teams. It could be, you know, the traditional sense of that's the cornerstone of the team. It could be the best player, the highest paid player. It's a combination of it. And the Jets core does put them in that like win now territory. They don't get as much, especially in a cost efficiency sense, as other contenders. And that's the Dallas Stars, the Colorado Avalanche. But guess what? Not many teams can stack up to that. They were still like, you know, they looked good comparative to a lot of teams around the league. And then you go to the Kraken and you put together their core and you sit there questioning who their core truly is. It's like you have many years, sure. You have Vince Dunn, you have Adam Larson. That's definitely a good core to start with. Andre Burakovsky. And then that last piece, you can like start shuffling around Jane Schwartz, Jordan Eberle. Um, and I think ultimately I went with Andre Burakovsky. And those are all good players to have. But that's not the perfect core. You need a little bit more star power, and you're going to get that from Matty Beniers, but I think you need one more addition, and this is a team that doesn't have that same pressure as Winnipeg to add it right now, but their core just doesn't match up to the rest. When you start adding in that you know, supporting cast, you do have a lot of strength, though, and they're a totally different team, and I think the reason the Kraken are so fun is they're operating so differently from what I feel like we've been so ingrained to know works. You look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're a team highlighted by their superstars. You look at the Colorado Avalanche, the same is true. Um, you look at the Washington Capitals, that's a superstar team, too. So they're winning games in a different way. I think it's really intriguing. But I do think we're already seeing the flaws in that. You lose Burakovsky and look at how they played without him for a couple of games already. They need a little bit more star power. And then I think they can still roll with, you know, a ton of depth to make it work. But if you just go by, you know, at their core, who's better? It's not going to be Seattle in a lot of conversations. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, but I think, um, you know, we were talking a little bit about uh, earlier and in, in, you were saying, you know, at five on five, the Winnipeg Jets were one of the better teams tonight. And, and you know, I, I noticed in particular the third line, I thought that, um, you know, the Mason Appleton return has been something that a lot of people had some question marks about for the Winnipeg Jets just because the team has managed just fine without him. And a lot of people were wondering where exactly that 
he slots in. But, you know, with uh, Axel Janssen Fialbi going on waivers, which a lot of people were questioning over someone like Saku Metalainen or even Carson Kuhlman, they thought was an interesting play. And I thought um, all that is to say, I think that Mason Appleton looked good tonight. I think uh, I, I like him beside Adam Lowry. I always have. But uh, at five on five, so in that capacity, like that line, some of the other lines had some issues with. But the power play has been a, a talking point for myself and a lot of other Jets fans over the last couple of uh, games and, you know, even even months and weeks and things like that. As in, if they want to consider themselves to be in the top echelon of teams in the Western Conference or even the league, which I think they do based on kind of the conversations swirling around this team, they need to do a better job of actually just straight up scoring on their power plays. And I, I didn't think that, you know, the, the last few games, the last while, they haven't been scoring enough on the power play, in my opinion. Do you have any particular thoughts on, on how the Jets operate at five on four? Uh, yeah. So back to what you said about Mason Appleton's line, uh, for what it's worth, you know, I was looking at them throughout the game. I think shot attempts ended up at 10 to two in their minutes and they went up against the Yanni Gord line, which is Gord and Eli Tolvanen and Oliver Bjorkstrand. It's a really good line for them. It's a, it's a really disruptive line and Winnipeg completely, totally won the battle in their minutes. So that's, I, I think a really good line to measure against when you talk about like third lines around the league. Uh, we know like Yanni Gord can be like the ultimate third liner and on a deep team, that's where he slots and anywhere else he probably fits a bit uh, higher. But so as for the power play, I, I mean, Winnipeg does rank really highly in their offensive generation on the power play. They're above average in their expected goal generation, and they have a lot of skill there, but you have to finish your chances and you have to consistently play at that level. And I think that everyone needs a little bit of versatility too in their power play because sometimes we'll see teams get a little bit hot on the power play. And that's, you know, one of the easier things to scout. You can go to the video room and just watch power play tape and have your penalty killer study it. And now tonight we saw them go against a team like the Kraken who have a power kill. It's a very aggressive penalty kill that's really good at finding those trigger points and, you know, pulling the team out of formation and jumping on odd man rushes and just creating a little bit of chaos to, you know, kill time off. We saw Wenberg do a really good job of that tonight, too. So, you know, this is a more challenging team to go up against, but it's not a one off thing for Winnipeg. You know, you have to find a way to improve your power play and have it be a threat all the time and if it starts to struggle you need to have some strategies and ways to mix it up even a couple tweaks uh positional tweaks or strategy tweaks things like that like the skills there just finding a way to maximize it and that requires you know creativity from the coaching really not to put you on the spot here but do you have i, I mean i don't know how much winnipeg jets you watch or how confident you are in your assessment on this but do you have any particular areas that you think that you would tweak on that particular power play especially that first formation that they run the most so I think their biggest problem is that they shoot so much from the right side. And it makes sense why they do. It's Kyle Connor. He's in the right circle. He's, you know, their best shooter. That's what you're going to want. But I think they need a little bit more going on from the left because, it, it you know, it's telestrated. Teams can cheat towards the right now because they know exactly who's going to be the shooter. And especially in a playoff series, you see that happen all the time. Like it might be something like, well, you're facing a goaltender who blocks on the left side and he's going to be really capable of stopping shots from that angle. Or it might be the penalty killers picking up on it and you'll see them cheating towards that to take away the shooter. And then, you know, the team doesn't have as many options. They are good in the net front area, but I just think that if if you could have a little bit more of a shooting threat on the left side and start, you know, bumping up their play, it would just give them a little bit more dimension. And this is a problem that a ton of teams have. It's nothing new for Winnipeg, but, you know, it's just something to consider. How do you do that? How do you balance that without lessening your best scoring threat? How do you do it without taking away the best shooter and lessening his role in any which way, which is obviously not ideal, but 
if you can just have a little more deception in it and a little bit more surprise when that shot comes from the left side, I think that they'd be in better shape. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I definitely agree with that. And I think they have the tools internally to do that. Like, I think they have a lot of different options that they can utilize to sort of move that around a bit and, you know, maybe add some different guys who are stronger passers or different shooting threats. You know, someone that, like Nikolai Ehlers, for example, prefers that left-hand side and he can shoot for sure. But um, Mark Shifley also prefers that side. And I, you know, think they kind of lean more towards Shifley over Ehlers, which leaves Ehlers to a demotion on the second unit or playing in a spot that he doesn't like. Um, so it's interesting, but um, I think... I think what you said makes a lot of sense, and I think it would be interesting to see how the Jets could sort of react to that and make a, a little bit more of a less predictable power play. I think it'd be very, very beneficial to them. Um, so I also want to talk a little bit about, you know, while we're talking about some of their stars and top players, I don't know what Colbert has done to end up in Rick Bonus's doghouse, but his usage <laughs> has been really interesting lately in the sense that he's typically starts a game on a line with uh, Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois. And as any of our regular listeners will know, I really like that line. I think it's a very compatible line with a lot of players that have a lot of potential to be very good together um, and have very complementary styles of play. And every game by the third period, Colbert Freddy has either been benched, sat, or tonight even demoted. It wasn't just that he sat, he was playing rotations with with the fourth and third lines. And I just thought it was very interesting. Do you have any thoughts on Colbert Freddy from sort of your perspective on him tonight or on anything in that capacity? Yeah, I like Colbert Freddy and he's a player I want to see reach his potential. I think I always do favor young players and it's probably because coaches just handle them so poorly. I don't know what it is about being an NHL head coach but for some reason, the majority of them just don't know how to develop players. You know, too many are worried about their defensive efforts in the early years. And, you know, that might hurt them too much if they're poor defensively, even though, you know, just let them roll offensively and you can teach them the defensive structure along the way. Or it's, you know, worrying that you're overwhelming them, but really you're underwhelming them and you're not giving them a chance to shine. And then I think eventually that kind of builds up and you see players have problems with their confidence because if they make a mistake, they're going to be on the bench. You can't take a risk, which is what you should be, you know, asked to do. If you're an offensive player, you have to take a risk for things to work out. It's just the way it goes. It's the same thing as, you know, looking at someone saying, well, they have so many takeaways, but look at the giveaways. Like it's a risk you have to take. If you possess the puck, you're going to lose the puck. And that's what you want Cole Perfetti to do because at his best, you know, he's a good shooter on this team. He's someone who can generate his own scoring chances. He's someone that ranks pretty highly in that behind players like Pierre-Luc Dubois. So when you have a lot of players who are good at the playmaking, it helps to have, you know, another strong shooter, another shooting threat. You can't constantly sit them on the bench and think that's how they're going to develop. Um, Rick Bonus specifically is a bit more of a traditional old school coach. Um, And in some ways, I think he's a really ideal fit for this team. But in other ways, you see how he's holding himself and holding his team back. And I think it's been a problem that he's had throughout his coaching career. So, you know, it's it's not a problem that's going to be unique to Winnipeg, but I think it's something around the league. We just need to see more coaches bet on their younger players, show that it works, and then others will follow suit. And that's not, it's not going to happen until someone kind of takes that leap. And I think we're seeing it a bit with like Marty St. Louis in Montreal, giving like Cole Caulfield all the minutes, all the opportunity, and just letting him play to his strengths. But until, you know, they start winning or until, you know, more coaches do it around the league, I just don't think it's going to catch on. I don't think the traditional old school coaches are ever going to jump onto the trend. So that's, you know, one problem. Yeah, no, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think, uh, who was it? Mark Lazarus, I think today had some quotes from Patrick Kane talking about yep. Kirby Doc in particular in Montreal. He's like, well, yeah, that's how you, that's how you develop a player. So um, I think you're right in the sense that, yeah, I don't know 
if a lot of old school coaches will do much of a transition, but maybe as we enter kind of a new era of hockey and some of these, you know, players become coaches like Marty St. Louis, maybe we'll see more of it. I think it'd probably be good for a lot of players' development. Um, and speaking of Cole Perpetti, obviously we saw Maddie Beniers tonight, who's like kind of the surefire favorite for the Calder, in my opinion, at least. I think that's kind of the one award that's far and away belongs to that guy, as opposed to any of the other major awards at this time. But um, Cole Perfetti, I know, is pretty high up on some people's ballots um, for, for Calder voting and stuff like that. Do you have any particular thoughts on that trophy and, and what you've seen from those two players and some of the others in that race? Yeah, um, it's it's not as exciting when it's kind of like figured out a quarter into the season. That's how it feels like it was with Matty Veneers. But you know what? He has the little bit of star power that Seattle needs. He's been exciting. He has a really good shot. He's a great player. I like everything we've seen from him so far. And, you know, sure, there's been stretches of inconsistency in his game at times, and that's going to happen and that he's playing through and look at what happens. But um, there really isn't anyone to challenge him. We look at last year and how deep the Calder conversation was and even the year before. So, you know, it's a little disappointing. It's not the same this year. I think um, Perfetti, if he had a little bit more consistent ice time, he'd be a bit more in the conversation. I think for now, um Owen Power is going to be right there and the third player who would have been really my second player had I if I you know I don't vote but if I did um it would be someone like Logan Thompson but now that injury kind of uh makes it tricky too but goalies are always tough to put in categories with skaters and I'm sure he's someone that's going to get gypped for it just a bit yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, moving kind of backwards into... Also, before we move on, I just do need to mention, I always bring up my jersey of the game. I hang something up in the back. Uh, I need to give a big shout out to Pierre-Luc Dubois for taking an awful penalty once again and then scoring <laughs> a nice little garbage goal. And then that final shootout was brilliant. And I just need to... We, we talk often about goal songs um, on this show when we talk about, you know, because the Winnipeg Jets have uh, at home the player who scores has their particular song and his is Hey Baby. And my mom sent me a video after the game was even over and the players were off the ice and stuff. The crowd is still singing the song and whatnot. So I uh, needed to give a shout out to that particular player for that particular, um, th- those plays tonight. Cause those were quite interesting. And uh, I think that playing with a player like Colbert Freddy is good for someone like Pierre Luc Dubois. But tonight there was just a little bit of that undisciplinedness and things like that and a little bit of laziness and whatnot from Pierre Luc Dubois, but it's never a dull time with that guy on the ice. So, But moving on from the forwards, I wanted <laughs> to talk a little bit about the defense as well. So Dylan DeMello came back from injury today. He was placed with Dylan, uh, with Brendan Dillon. I was talking to my co-host Brady a little bit about this, and it's like the kind of thing where we're like, hey, I kind of like this pairing. However, what does that make the other pairings look like? And that leaves Josh Morrissey with Neil Pionk. Now, Josh Morrissey I don't, not to, you know, I don't want my Jets fans, listeners to hate me here. He's He wouldn't be on my Norris ballot. Like, I think there are too many other defensemen having fantastic years. Um, but all that to say is that the fact that he's even in the conversation after the past couple of years that he's had is fantastic. Josh Morrissey is a legend in Winnipeg and we adore him. But playing with Neil Pionk has been an event in Dylan DeMello's absence. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that particular pairing or either of those players tonight. Yeah, um, Neil Pionk is a player I know quite well. Um, he was a really interesting player in New York. He was, I think, the player that challenged how I looked at numbers more than anybody because we are all incredibly biased. Like, it's just the fact of the matter. Like, we are such biased people when we watch games. And when someone does something incredible, which Pionk has a tendency to do, um, that's what we think of. So for us in New York, there were these end-to-end goals that you couldn't not pay attention to but then you'd look below the surface and 
the play was just putrid. And, you know, you have to consider the state of the team at the time for the Rangers. They were bad, but Pionk's pairing was making it that much worse. It was him with Mark Stahl a lot of the time. So it was kind of like, where is that gap? Why does it look, you know, so different? We're seeing points, we're seeing scoring, we're seeing great and wonderful things, but he's not even driving play. It's really lucky. You know, the, the times he does generate offense, look at the result. Um, and then you have to look at, you know, the sea of scoring chances against when he's on the ice. So when he was traded uh, to Winnipeg, it, it was something that was like brought up again. Like, is it his, is it the systems in New York? It's completely possible. We've never seen him play anywhere else. And the systems weren't sustainable for literally anybody in New York at the time. Uh, but I think it's kind of shown in Winnipeg, like he's a better player, I think, than he ever got a chance to show with the Rangers, but you have to manage his usage. You have to manage his ice time. Um, you don't want him in a top pairing role. And anytime your depth chart changes, it has a trickle down effect on everybody because now everyone's slotted in inappropriate roles, you know, versus where they actually should be. So for me, from what I know of him from his whole career, I would say a top payroll is not it. Um, he's not the person you want taking on top competition. You, he's not the ideal top pair partner. I don't think that he's someone that can complement Josh Morrissey's game enough. Uh, but, you know, sometimes coaches look at it and go, well, this player is so good that he can drag this player along and it'll be no problem. Or again, it's the bias. It's the look at the amazing shot block. This is what I think of when I think of him. Um, and that's why it helps to have for organizations to have like a gut check so they can make sure that like everything's actually sustainable below the surface. And it's not just like the one play that comes to mind. So uh, for me, do I recommend him as a top pairing defenseman? No, not at all. Um, no, I, I would I would not want that uh, if I were the Jets. And I think there's an interesting conversation to have, like what would happen if they added one more defensemen um like i'm going through expanding on the five player core to the 10 player contender checklist and winnipeg's on there and it's like if they could get one more defenseman and knock everyone down into a peg into a more appropriate role like i think that would be really good for them but i just don't think you can throw someone that high in the lineup and go let's hope this sticks yeah no i think that makes a lot of sense too and i think that that's something that um, a lot of people particularly notice with defensemen, at least. Um, I think you make a great point about the the isolated plays, like things like the big hits, the big blocks, the big shots, and things like that, um, that kind of overcorrect what we've analyzed from the lesser parts. And the lesser parts are always a huge, huge, huge aspect of a defenseman's game because not everything that they do is super noticeable. And I think that's something that maybe we'll talk a little bit about Dylan DeMello. That's something a lot of us have screened from the rooftops about that player is something that it's not as much about the big flashy plays, good or bad, because some of those players that do make those really big, awesome plays are also the ones who make the most notable errors just kind of based on their style of play. They're really bad giveaways or they're really bad because, you know, they've pinched to make a really nice shot and it just completely backfires on them. So someone like Dylan DeMello is a little bit more of the the reserve player that has, um, you know, people talk about, oh, he's a defensive defenseman. He also has a lot of great offensive qualities, but it's not a big shot. It's a more direct pass. It's a more strategic pass and stuff like that. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that player in particular? And do you think that he's a good fit with Josh Morrissey? Um, I think that he could be. Uh, you know, it, it's it's tough because you sometimes don't know how a player is going to respond to the jump in workload. And it's like, there's the two parts of it. Quality of teammates can be the most you know most influential factor on a player's like shot rates so 
if you're playing with Josh Morrissey, who is the team's best defenseman, it may trickle down and have a great effect on your game. But on the flip side, it's can you take on top minutes? Can you take on top forwards? Are you going to drag down the player that, you know, the Jets obviously want to be elevating? So it's like a slippery slope there. But I think that they should try it. I don't see why not when you look at the roster and go, well, truly, what are your options? You know, you have to mix and match and see what works. And maybe a pairing has better results than you thought. Maybe their games are a little bit more complimentary than you thought. And if it can, if you can be, you know, if you're not flashy as a defenseman, it's not a bad thing. I think we get so like wrapped up in like defensemen who can score and they are super important to have. But like at the end of the day, if you're a good defenseman in this league, you're in this day and age, you're pushing the pace of play. You're playing that puck possession game. Yes. But in any other sense, if you are a shutdown defenseman or anything like that, you're not doing what's super noticeable because you're stopping plays from happening in the first place. So you're doing the little things right. And that's going to build up and be what, you know, like ideally is, you know, your game is like built on. It's not necessarily flashy blocks because if you're doing that, you're reacting to the play. You didn't stop the shot in the first place. You didn't stop the zone entry in the first place. So if this is a player who could do the little things and support Morrissey's game to help prop him up further, that's a really good thing to have. So why not try it? But if it doesn't work, you know, you have to find that balance between giving them enough time to see if they have chemistry and if it can click and then not letting it weigh down Morrissey in any way and finding a way to fix it before the deadline approaches. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's only a matter of time before they put those two players back together. I think it was I think it was Rick Bonus himself who said like less than a month ago that Dylan DeMello was the optimal partner for a player like Josh Morrissey. And even though Dylan DeMello is back now, maybe it was a workload thing, but they still play Brendan Dylan a lot and stuff. But yeah, they didn't put him back together. And I think it's it's almost impressive that Neil Pionk could have such an impact on someone like Josh Morrissey's results, but not impressive in a good way. And I was looking at a couple of different, you know, some, some money puck and some of those stat cards that come out afterwards and some of the heat maps that got to shout out our friend uh, Winnipeg Chief on Twitter, who brings up awesome uh, numbers after every game and sort of pinpoint some important details and it's it's very alarming to see that and I think like you said a lesser role will probably help everyone including the player and and the the opposition will be you know better suited to play against that player in a in a different role as opposed to on the top pairing with with Josh but uh um we have a little bit of time left so I kind of just want to talk a little bit more uh, a little bit more of a bigger picture type of thing you know this game was uh, a lot of fun there were a lot of really good parts and I think all in all the Jets played a pretty good five on five game but I'm just curious while I have you here um trade deadline obviously is the elephant in the room in any kind of conversation everyone's thinking about it everyone's looking at it um, you know, I've seen a lot of really fantastic stuff come up from The Athletic in the last little bit. Obviously, we love the player cards that you and Dom work on. We love that new, um, I'm just going to butcher, I'm not even, the ones that look like spider webs where you're comparing in percentiles the, the players from the cores and things like that and sort of how they stack up against uh, different players in the league and things like that. And so um, with this kind of work that you do and all that kind of stuff, I know you have a pretty good idea of a lot of different teams, where they sit, what they look good in, what they don't and things like that. What, um, for the Winnipeg Jets, what do you see there and what do you think needs to be the move or moves uh, that they make in order to get to where they want to go? So this is like right in line with something I'm working on uh, to run Thursday with the contender checklist. And it's going through all the playoff teams and, you know, looking at the different, it's like putting them in tiers and seeing what teams need, what they have, where they currently sit. And the Jets are in a good position 
but they're not in the best position yet. And I think if you want to maximize the next two years, and it seems like they want to before contracts come up and they have to handle what's going on with Mark Shifley and Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, situation, and you want to maximize Connor Hellenbuck having an otherworldly season, as we all expect from him all the time, you know, you want to better your chances right now. And the Western Conference, you know, it's it's a little bit tricky because we see the Eastern Conference is a little bit more competitive right now than the West. A lot of teams are, you know, overperforming and they're the ones making the splashy ads so far. So it's going to be interesting to see who does in the West and how the teams around them uh, respond. But I think for Winnipeg, they have to watch out for what, you know, what Colorado does. We know they're one of the smartest front offices in the league and at their best and at their healthiest, they are the contender to watch still, even though the season hasn't been as overwhelming as last year. Um, team like the Dallas Stars is a team that the Jets have to watch for too, because they might make a forward ed and they might compete for the same players that the Jets go for. So that that's something they really have to watch. But if I'm Winnipeg and I'm looking at my roster I know they generally don't go super splashy, but I think this is the time to do it. Obviously, they should be in on like any Timo Meyer conversations because the tier that he uh, he's on is so much higher than everybody else. Um, you know, is the cost worth it? It really depends on what it ends up being. And, you know, then you have the long-term cap implications to figure out as well. But, you know, everybody should be at least, you know, kicking the tires on Timo Meyer, and then you can go with your levels of interest from there. But I think uh, I think Winnipeg needs another high-end forward, especially because they're not as willing to play Cole Perfetti. I don't think they should get anyone that will block Perfetti. I think he should be in the top six, and then they can find one more player to kind of give them a little bit more skill, um, preferably in the middle six of their lineup. You know, like, I think that would be really strong for them. Uh, it helps to have a healthy Ehlers. I think he could play more minutes. I think Perfetti could play more minutes. And then you have internal solutions. I still would go for one more forward. Um, we look at their roster and like the Appletons and the Coolmans are fine to a point, but they don't have that same finishing talent and play driving ability as some players they might want to look for. And it could be someone like James Van Riemsdyk, who can be a really good power play specialist and help at five on five as well. You know, you look at, he's on a bad team, but he still has good impacts. Um, so that's one thing to look for. And I would say a top four defenseman because it helps to have a little bit more versatility for that. Obviously, the biggest name on the market is going to be Jacob Chikorin. He's someone everybody should be looking at because he's a very, very, very good player and he'll be better in a different system and he can play both sides of the lineup. But there's going to be the lesser options to the Gavrikovs, you know, as long as they're not going for first and second round picks because we know how teams can overspend on depth defenders. But yeah, uh, middle six winger, top four defenseman. And I know that it is asking for a lot, but it's not like this team generally spends that much and, you know, moves too many assets out that I think they can afford it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I have a couple comments on that. But before I do so, before I jump into an interesting comment I just got in the chat, I'm going to go do a quick read from our sponsors here. So want to bet? Then get in on the action at Sports Interaction. The boys of summer are back on the diamond and March Madness is on deck. Bet pregame, live and play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and catch out. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn19+. Please play responsibly. So 
So I think it's really interesting that you mentioned James Aaron Rubes. Like that's obvious. Like that's a huge, huge, huge look that I've I've been looking at that player. Um, kind of just in the whole. I don't want to call him a consolation prize, but he's a consolation prize for those of us who don't uh, win the Timo Meyer sweepstakes, which everyone needs to be prepared for because there's only one Timo Meyer. So I think it's really interesting, and that could be a really cool player to add in um, to you know banging some pucks in front on on some line in the middle six there. So I think it'd be interesting. And you mentioned Cole Perfetti, um, you know, wanting him to stick around in the top six there. And so to me, that does that leave Blake Wheeler as the odd man out for you to bump down in the lineup? Or who who would be the player there that you would slide out if, if they were to trade for someone like Timo Meyer or even James Van Reems like to jump in the top six? If you trade for someone like Timo Meyer, like anyone could slip out and it's really not a knock to their game. I do really like what we've seen from Blake Wheeler this year. He's been so much better, you know, really having a bounce back season. So, um, with James Van Riemsdyk, I think he would be fine on the third line at, you know, even strength and be that middle six winger then. And then, you know, get some shifts on the power play or really bolster the second unit. So they have like another weapon if that first unit isn't clicking. Um, I don't think many players would really make the cut for the top six, honestly, for who's available. Even if, you know, we see teams go for players like Brock Besser, like I'm not sure he's a bonafide top six player as he is right now. Um, I think he needs a little bit of work to get there again and has some like weak defensive impacts, but I I think it could work. If you go for the Van Riemsdijk's of the world, that's, that is your third line player and power play specialist. That might be ideal, but anything to like boost that middle six, I think is the direction they need to go. Um, but yeah, if Blake Wheeler moves down to the third line because you have Timo Meyer, that's not a bad problem to have. That's, you know, no one's going to complain that they have too much forward depth. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of the reason I ask is because Noah brings up in the chat. He says in Rick Bonus's post game avail, he said that when he changed up the lines in the third, that he kept pairs together. I love forward pairs. However, he says Casey and PLD were the pairing, and Shifley and Wheeler were the pairing. And I and Noah says I don't like that Bones thinks Wheeler and Shifley are a pair. And I kind of agree with him in the sense that Mark Shifley is your top line center, and if you have him tied to Blake Wheeler, I feel like the utilization of both of those players might not be exactly the same. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't mind when coaches look at pairs for forwards because sometimes I do think that works. Like, you know, it's the two key players and that's how you keep your lineup balance in a way. Like if you can split up the most important pairs, it is interesting though because you're leaving out your one of your best wingers if those are your pairs. Like Nikolai Ehlers is right there, should be in the conversation always. I think he should be the one that's on the tier with a top six winger unless they feel that uh, a top six center, unless they feel that, you know, he's so good that he can boost whatever line he's put on. But that just has not been the case. I don't understand the disconnect there. But no, I don't know if I would lock Wheeler into that pair position just yet. And that's where someone like Meyer could like knock him out of it. But I think that it should be a little bit more for like Ehlers, Shifley, and then you have Wheeler as this good veteran that can, you know, click in any position you put him in. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. So I think kind of my takeaway here is that just get Timo Meyer and everything will be better for your hockey team. So uh, <laughs> we're here's hoping that by March 3rd, that'll be uh, something Winnipeg Jets can be excited about. But uh, I'm not holding out too much hope. But uh, that kind of wraps up uh, what we wanted to talk about today. Shana, thank you so much for joining me. As always, you guys can always find us here on Game Over Winnipeg after every single Jets game, myself or Brady, and um, either together or with some fun guests, we'll always be breaking down the 60 minutes we just watched, or in this case, 65 plus the 
the first shootout of Winnipeg Jets 2022-23 season history, which is wild to me still. Um, and Mike, Mark Scheifele and Pierre Dubois had a couple beautiful goals to go home with, which was fantastic. Um, before we sign off, Shana, of course, from The Athletic, you mentioned a, th- a couple times that you have a project that you're working on this week. Is there anything in particular that you want our listeners to check out at The Athletic that you're working on right now or just anything in general? Uh, yeah, so if you want, check out the story about player co- cores that ran today or the contender checklist that runs on Thursday. There's going to be a ton of, you know, a ton more deadline content that I'm doing over the next couple of weeks. So that'll be there. And um, the only other thing is, you know, go listen to the Too Many Men podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, definitely one of my favorites. Everyone knows that uh, as ironic as it is that I do a show, I don't love listening to podcasts. I'm much more of a music person, but uh, Too Many Men is, is definitely one of my favorites. Uh, Allison and Sarah and, and Shana are three of the best in the industry, so it's a ton of fun to to get to watch. So, Shana, thank you again so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for joining in, for joining in the chat, for listening live, or for listening back tomorrow. And uh, we'll be back later this week. We play Columbus on Thursday, so Brady and I will be breaking down that game, of course. The noted Patrick Line game is always a fun one to talk about, so you'll find us there. Uh, have a good night, everyone. For those of you who are Winnipeg, if you're out, get home safe. I know the roads are pretty rough right now, so and uh, take care, stay warm. Bye, everyone. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook.